0: Robert and Brass. Carson Sistuli. This is Fangraphs. So i do my guest on this edition of Fangraphs. So i making his weekly Monday appearance on a Tuesday. his weekly Monday appearance, except he's made it, in this case, on a Tuesday. Managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest. And on this edition of the program, as he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors to analyze all baseball of Particular note this week, we know nothing about offense. We know nothing about offense. That is Dave Cameron's thesis and or hypothesis at least one of his theses or hypotheses during this edition of the program. And while, of course, we understand the value of offensive events that have occurred, what it seems we don't understand is how productive even those hitters in the high minors will be once they enter the major leagues. For example, Matt Olson, absent, it seems, from every A's top 10 prospect list this preseason, has not only recorded nearly two wins in fewer than 200 plate appearances for the Oakland A's, but he's also produced one of the top exit velocities, of any hitter in the majors. Reese Hoskins, whose case has been addressed at some length on a previous edition of the program, received similarly tepid assessments before the season. And finally, of course, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, who is succeeding with a similar formula as the one he utilized last year in the minor leagues, has recorded a six-win season, largely on the strength of overwhelming power. What did the evaluations or the projections of these players miss, and what can we learn from those blind spots? That is one topic that we peruse with questions uh, in what follows also once again i forced dave cameron once again to address the future of scouting and to consider for example the question of replacement level for scouts for front office personnel as opposed to just simply players also during this episode dave cameron asks the question everyone is thinking and also asking
1: why are there internet baseball writers
0: the answer to that of course can be found in one's heart We'll move on to that conversation with Dave Cameron momentarily. But first, I must announce that Fangraph's membership is a thing. Fangraph's membership is a thing for a reasonable sum. Readers of fangraphs.com can contribute to that site, can contribute to fangraphs.com and help support the great work that appears in those electronic pages. Furthermore, for a slightly less reasonable sum, but not entirely unreasonable sum, readers can acquire an ad free membership, which allows one to browse fangraphs.com. Without the burden of banner ads Faster loading speeds Liberty from the distortive effects of advertising It's all available for an undisclosed But also not unreasonable Fee Fangraphs, ad free membership Available at Fangraphs.com Okay, with that, with that complete Let us now move on to the conversation What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio Who does it feature? managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron And when does it begin? Right now
1: A soft whimper.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let me give him five minutes. We'll see what he's doing in five minutes. Okay. Let me ask you about this, Dave Cameron. Bob. Okay, so I spoke with uh, Travis Satchik. Travis Satchik, okay. uh, the prolific Travis Satchik, made his uh, one of his fortnightly appearances in the program. Okay. How many
1: times did he say "flyball revolution"?
0: He didn't. He didn't say "flyball revolution." He didn't say "airball revolution" because okay. I was bossing the conversation around. Oh,
1: uh, okay. And he, w- he would. Have if he have We fly.
0: addressed a topic which originally uh, a topic which originally he covered for Fangraphs. but which I have systematically uh, compelled every c- contributor to the program, uh, you know, to comment upon, and that is the future of scouting. I think the yeah. last time you and I spoke or maybe maybe two episodes ago when we spoke I forced you to discuss this at some length. And you seem you, you seemed to indicate uh that, that there were there oughtn't be any concern uh because there will likely remain the same number of personnel employed uh in the future as in uh, as there are presently uh and that the uh, the only thing that might occur is a sort of um repurposing of the Scout and perhaps an en- right. they'll, they'll do different in an ennobling of the Scout perhaps you think that, would you characterize it as that ennobling
1: that wouldn't have been the word I chose yeah but then I didn't write a book called spirited ejaculations so.
0: <laughs> no you didn't yeah only one person did yeah here's the so <clears throat> but here's here's the problem I still have with this right is that and let's use the Astros as the example Jeff Lunau et at all right? Decide. uh, They decide that they want a competitive advantage. That's where everything begins, right? And they decide that in order to to pursue this advantage, uh, it would behoove them to um, re uh, rework to um, review how they uh, how they um, scout, how they scout, how they organize their scouting departments, right? And so they dismiss some people. Uh, and in, in theory, they will. Even if they hire the same number of people, what they have done is they have put people out of work. That's you cannot argue with that. True. True. Right. And so here's here's the problem, and here's why I, here's why I regard innovation and ambition and effort uh, as a collective evil, the three heads, <laughs> if you will, uh, that one finds in whatever the last ring of hell is. A bi- winning a baseball game. Has no, it has very little in the way of real world implications, right? Uh, certain teams win, certain teams lose, certain teams go to the World Series, others don't. Uh, there's always the same amount of winning going on, however. And also, well, you're, you're arguing
1: that baseball is a zero sum
0: game. I think I'm arguing that. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my question. Here's the thing: when you, but when you fire scouts, when you dismiss employees, you are, those are actual those moves those transactions have actually real world consequences because this is not a this is not a highly compensated group of employees to begin with right and so sure, now yeah, that's true. what we have is people who um, who are, are now forced to find other sorts of employment and perhaps, i don't know i don't know to what degree i don't know like if you lose a scotty job i don't know the the, the percentage of chance of getting hired elsewhere maybe maybe that's something um, to which you can um, employ and in the, in the service of which you can employ your expertise. However, there, what we have is these real-world implications, people actually losing their real jobs uh, in order to pursue baseball wins. And that is, a, that is something that, that hurts me in my core because all these people were doing was doing a job uh, <coughs> you know that they've been trained to do for some time.
1: Okay, so your argument would be that if you have if you have put in the time to attempt to do the job, you should be able to do the job regardless of performance? <laughs> like, there should not be a turnover in... Like, you think as soon as you attain a position, you should be able to stay in that position until you die?
0: I I don't think I... I probably do believe that. I don't think that one... Okay. So you're a big fan of, like, umpire tenure. Like, you really like Joe West...
1: And you think, like, Angel Hernandez is, like, the shining beacon of
0: employability? No, I I clearly don't think that. (laughs) I clearly don't think that. I just think, like, yeah, so he's a heel, right? No, there's very – there appear to be very few people, both in and outside of the game, who care for Angel uh, Angel Hernandez. Same thing with Joe West, right? right? Yeah. But their their presence on the field is not, like – like, they're not – they're not evil forces necessarily. They're just kind of, you know, they're like the bad guy in a, in wrestling, <laughs> you know, like you, I mean, like, I'm not saying like, a, you have to have them so that the
1: good can overcome them. Yeah,
0: but Perhaps that. And listen, by the way, yeah. I'm not, I'm not arguing. This is not a, a, a human element argument. Okay.
1: Sure. Because I'm the one who brought up umpires, buyers. So.
0: Right. And and, and I don't, and I don't necessarily, to me, that's a, it's just a, it's a conversation in which I'm uninterested, at least at the moment. What I am interested in is uh is job loss and job security, and I guess my question is okay. to what degree is job security a prerogative in baseball? i mean I understand it uh, among players i I get it. that's always been part of the deal
1: right is and it, so you're you're okay with Jared Weaver being put out to the pasture. But you're not okay with the scout who signed Jared Weaver being put out to pasture.
0: That's that's a definite possibility, yeah. Because the consequences of Jared Weaver losing his job, and that Jared Weaver may not be the best example. It would be like Whit Merrifield. Do you know what I mean? Whit Merrifield. He's actually kind of good, so it's not a good example. It'd be like <laughs> like
1: why would anyone be putting Whit I've Merrifield? He's like the Royal sixth. It'd best be like player. Johnny Giovatella. Okay, yeah,
0: sure. You know, you know what I mean. It's the twenty like the twenty seventh man, Jacoby Jones. Yeah, right, maybe yeah. is he? What is he doing right yeah. now?
1: Uh, it's probably the Tigers' third best hitter, but that's because the Tigers' okay, right.
0: Watch. So, but you know what sort of player I'm talking about? Yeah, the, the yeah one, right. Gia Vitello is a and, good example. And and so, so th- I guess my question is, so so th- they're probably more relevant, right? But I think that the terms of employment, I think that, th- that the assessing a player's skill is much more clear. Like obviously, like lots of Fangraphs.com, lots of the work that a- that appears at Fangraphs.com. Is dedicated to doing that We have It's like You know With a margin of error We're able to Provide an estimate Of how many wins A player is worth And But we don't There's no such At least there's no such Publicly available information Like that Regarding scouts And already They're not being compensated Particularly well And so you have this thing Where it's like It's like uh, They're fighting tooth and nail At some level For these jobs Or they could be Fighting tooth and nail Or they're in danger Of losing their jobs and yet maybe the criteria for actually performing well in them is not clear, especially relative – especially the, the risk of termination is not particularly is, – is particularly high relative to the compensation.
1: Right. So I guess what you don't, you don't like uh, or that what your, um, your core is offended by mm-hmm. is the idea of uh, replacement level outside of baseball and how close we all are to that.
0: Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Because
1: in, in baseball, like, these, 20, the Johnny G. Vitellas, these guys lose their jobs all the time, right? Like, the, sh- the AAA shuttle, you know, there's, who's the guy, uh, Adam Rosales, who was like, DFA'd like 13 times last year, and like, got traded between the A's and Rangers, uh, half dozen times, and like, you know, he was like constantly unemployed. He spent like three months, uh, in Right, DFA he's like the
0: plaything of, of this, uh, like, player transaction. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, like, this, you, you, that doesn't bother you, it seems, because Adam Rosales got like, okay, decently compensated for getting shipped around the country.
0: Uh, that, and also I would say that it's, it's very much more like, I think that the, the, the means to a judge, I think that it's clear that it is a, it's it's like a, a, a meritocracy and that the rules of the game are very well defined, right? Here's, here's how you play well and here's how you play poorly.
1: So, so because we don't understand that well how to evaluate scouts... Your hope would be that they just aren't evaluated or aren't replaced. (laughs) Like, what would you do with, like, an 18-year-old who really wanted to be a scout? and was hoping a scouting job would open in the future, but in your world, these scouts just are Supreme Court justices and stay in their positions until they die. Well, they die. die.
0: They eventually die.
1: Okay, so this 18-year-old who wants to become a baseball scout someday can fulfill his dream at 74 when all the current scouts pass
0: away. I don't think that's... I mean, if there's a 19-year-old scout, then that's a guy who's probably going to die a year before the 18-year-old scout. So there you go. <laughs> okay. And if there's a... If there's a uh, a 64-year-old scout, uh, it's quite possible that he'll retire next year. I actually don't know the average retirement age. All right, so let's be clear. I'm working with a great deal of unknowns. Do I even really understand that much about the the, the mechanics of scouting, the logistics of employment with regard to scouting? No, I don't. No, I don't. And so uh, much of this <laughs> is, just, um, is just my own fears projected onto this one profession. Hmm. So let's so you, be clear about that.
1: So you're just in worried that you are going to be imminently replaced, and so you would like to create a ceiling or a floor, I guess, beneath you yeah. so that no future podcaster can come remove you from your position?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess that's part of it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. It's just general fear. Yeah, it's general
1: yeah. fear. It's general fear. Can I tell you that there's probably, like, so I listened to the podcast you did with Ashley mm-hmm. uh and I realized, like, I don't. I don't think you're replaceable in the sense that I don't think anybody else would uh, invite a baseball resident onto the podcast to talk about urban fantasy fiction. Yes, yeah. And spend I've spent like forty five minutes confidently discussing urban fantasy fiction. Yeah, Um, you're the only. You're the one. You're.
0: you're Yeah, but I suppose unique doesn't necessarily mean good, does it? Well, certainly
1: not. No. But if we were, if we wanted another Carson, they just they don't exist. No, but Where you I might want like, someone who's competent. And that's, you know, my, that's in great baseball. Theory. I think it's you know most people are fungible, which I know sounds horrible, and uh, you know isn't something that we would like to believe. But at least our skills, as they relate to being able to evaluate talent, um, are are mostly fungible.
0: Right, and so and so I guess that's why. So you think it's part of – so. So here's a, perhaps a misunderstanding that I currently have, and yeah. um, among the many, right, is I, in in the view that I was suggesting here. I would say, Adam Rosales by by agreeing to become a baseball player, right, uh, recognizes that unless he performs in such a way that will make him desirable to you know basically every team. In a way, in particular, they would want to retain his services for a guaranteed period of time and pay him something more, you know, something substantively more than the, than the league minimum, right? Um, unless right. those conditions are met, he is going to have to contend with um, the, the vagaries of being a, a sort of player on the fringes. Right. And part of that is, you know, probably getting DFA'd and, and then getting picked up off waivers, et cetera. Yeah. And so, in my point of view, a player agrees to that, and, and that's part of it. What I, what perhaps I'm, I'm misunderstanding is that maybe that is also a deal in a much less high-profile capacity. But that is also the sort of deal with, with with which a, you know, a prospect or you know, a talent evaluator, or a scout, that's also something that he agrees to again to uh, in a much less uh, high-profile capacity.
1: Right. I mean, like I guess. Um I think this would apply to every job in the world, right? Like, why are there internet baseball writers who, you know, don't make a lot of money? I don't think each of us consider ourselves rich. No. Uh, who write online, uh, primarily are told to go, you know, shove our heads somewhere. Uh, re- receive, like, you know, some amount of um, critique from people we don't know, um, fairly regular basis. Um, and this is what we do with our lives. But we choose to do it for, you know, not a dramatic amount of money um, because we've weighed that it is better than all our, our alternative options, right? Like with our skill sets, this is what we can do uh, in order to, you know, put food on the table and buy a Rock and Play for our two-month-old. Mm-hmm.
0: Used Rock so, and Play, $20 on Craigslist, by the way. Yeah, there you go. Yep. So
1: you got that $20 from being able to do weird podcasts with <laughs> Ashley McLennan, yeah. Uh because that's what your skill set allowed you to do. And so you made a choice based on here are my available things that essentially I can sell. That's essentially what you're doing, right? Is you're selling your time in exchange for money, and so you found someone who would buy some of your time. And uh, you know, I think scouts, to a large degree, have made the same kind of bargain that Adam Rosales has made. Is like, look, I have to be on the road all the time. I have to be away from my family all the time. You know, there's a lot of downsides to this life. I don't have a lot of job security. I'm probably going to have to change organizations many times if I'm trying to climb the ladder. Uh, I'm going to have to move <laughs> pretty regularly. Um, you know, these are the downsides of my job. The upside is I get paid to watch baseball, and so that's a a, a cost-benefit analysis that they perform, and they they accept the consequences and the downsides uh, in exchange for the upside, kind of like we all do.
0: Right, and I guess uh, uh, yes, I suppose that makes sense. You know, it is interesting, um, and I don't I don't necessarily know uh, if this fits into this precise conversation, but there is also the idea of perhaps um, employing patients uh, to work with. Work to work to build a relationship, and I am particularly thinking of a post that Travis Atrick wrote uh, about Byron Buxton, sure. the the difference in strategy, and maybe you don't see it as starkly as he did. Obviously, uh, you know he was he's trying to um, you know craft this into a narrative, into something to work with. But I think the, I think his his basic thesis was last year on um, the, the twins. Uh, maybe moved Byron Buxton around a little bit once he didn't sh- once he showed he wasn't having much success at the majors. They moved in the minors, back up to the majors, back down to the minors, right? Yeah. And this year, while uh, Paul Molitor wouldn't go as so far, wouldn't go so far as to say, to, you know, at least to tell Travis Sodick that he had ge- that he had told Byron Buxton, you know, y- you have you have this whole season in the majors, right? Right. Um, uh, it, 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 you, they won't go that far, but there does seem to have been. It's possible to to see some sort of perhaps philosophical shift in how to treat Buxton because, um, you know, now because they they stuck with him through pretty lean times this year.
1: He went like what two for fifty to start the year or something.
0: Right, and now he's yeah. a, he's actually turned into he doesn't really have to hit all that much, does he?
1: Right, his his base running and defense would provide a very high floor. He's he's
0: he's been worth he's worth is he essentially what you what people were hoping Billy Hamilton might be.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think that's the thing. Is like right now, you know, he's hit really well for the last six weeks or something. I think people are like, oh, Bill, Byron Buxton's turning into, you know, what he was hyped up to be, which isn't true because he was called better than Mike Trout when he was 18, which was insane. Um, but right now he's basically like peak Billy Hamilton.
0: Right. Yeah. And I guess in, in this, I suppose, and I have probably been short-sighted in, or I've probably not uh, fairly adjudged these sorts of... Um, evaluations players but it's true when you when you look at billy hamilton certainly when you look at byron buxton this sort of player like really does not have to hit too much in order to provide value and you say well a lot of it is speed like the 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 translation between speed and center field range the translation between speed and value on the bases is like it's pretty it's pretty uh direct right
1: it's not. It's
0: not one to one, but it's close. Right. It's not. It in because hitting, hitting is certainly more. It's uh, it, it's less predictable. Like I and I'll bring up a player like Travis Jankowski, for example, in the Padres. Yeah. Right? right. Travis Jankowski hardly struck out at all in the minor leagues, right. and then he showed up in the majors, and he you has a twenty-seven percent right. strikeout rate. Right. And to me, Which, that's like. To be fair, that's like just slightly above the league average. <laughs> that's true. But he was striking out 13 percent of the time in the minors, Right. and so. There's no translation, you know. If you take your your MLE, right, your what a major league equivalency of minor league stat line, right, and they're pretty dependable over the large population. Yeah. If you have 13% strikeout rate at AAA, I don't know what that is in the major leagues necessarily, but it's not thir- it's not 27%. Well, it's probably like
1: 17 right. Right, it's
0: like seven. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and so. So that's like an example. So if you see – I mean, and it's, Travis Jankowski is also relevant here because he's also quite fast. And he's, yeah. he's actually put up good base running numbers. He's right. been worth half a win in uh, in a full season's worth of baseball. And by the way, despite the fact that he's hit almost 30% worse than the league average because of his fielding and because of his base running, he's actually been worth two wins in roughly a full season's worth of play. In roughly a full season yeah. play. Right.
1: You can you can be a decent major league player without hitting a lot.
0: Right. But but the thing is, yeah, you see the speed and the speed becomes base running and becomes center field defense or outfield defense.
1: Right. Not always. I mean Rajay Davis exists, right? Like there's there are exceptions where there's like fast guys who aren't good defensively, but they're pretty rare.
0: Now here's a question with with regard to Rajay Davis. And maybe like I I know, there have been some slower guys. Who uh, who obviously have been very good uh, outfield right. defenders. Like yeah. I mean, Kevin Kiermaier. I don't think is the very fastest guy. No, not um, even close. Yeah. I have to think that like I don't know what Aaron Hicks's defensive numbers look like right now.
1: I think his arm rating is off the charts.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But he's like he's kind of he's more solidly built. I don't know. Right. I don't know. necessarily how fast I don't know. Jackie Bradley is. I don't know. Right. he's
1: not like super super fast. Right. He's no. above average fast, but not. He's not Byron Buxton or Billy Hamilton.
0: Or right. And I think that he's put up pretty good numbers for. a yeah. For center fielder. Right. So. Yeah. Um. You know. So those are some examples. Right. So you're right. Now I would be interested to go back and. Uh, this is less interesting because, this is the example of something that one could have prepared before conducting a <laughs> podcast, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. but. Do you think – if you were to go back and you were to look at the – at least the publicly available evaluations of Rajai Davis, future major leaguer, Do you, what do you think that uh, – on average, what do you think they would say about his, his defense?
1: I bet he was probably projected to be an above-average defensive center fielder based on his speed.
0: Right. Okay.
1: I would bet. Yeah. Because he's, he's clearly very fast.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think his stolen base record is very strong, right? Mm-hmm. Oh
1: yeah, he's one of the best base stealers of all time.
0: Yeah, that's a weird thing. That, right. that is, he's always... like
1: a really unique player. that like, I think last year, or the year before, I wrote a post about how like there's an argument that Rodney Davis is, you know, one of the top five base base runners in baseball history. Mm-hmm. And then like he's a corner outfielder. Like Vince Coleman, I guess, was this way too. Like Vince Coleman was a you know prolific base stealer who couldn't play center field. Um, it was just it's a bizarre combination of skills.
0: And you know, who, so in a, in a different way. Uh, I remember looking this up. Uh, th- there's a there's a guy like Dexter Fowler, right. who is a miserable base stealer, right? I don't know if mm-hmm. he's improved like the last year or two. No, uh, I don't think he's very good. But for much of his career, he's been quite bad. But he's yeah. also he's routinely, or at least was when I, you know, when I was looking this up a year or two ago, routinely he's been one of the best base runners, like non-stolen base base runners. Right
1: yeah he's instinctive, but not like apparently gets bad jumps or something
0: right. yeah and so over the course of his career he's been worth like thirty runs above average,
1: right because right. he is fast and he can go first to third and second to home and you know on those plays where he you know apparently can read the ball off the bat much better than can read the ball out of the pitcher's yeah. hand. He adds plenty of value because he's a fast runner, like you would expect. But then he tries to steal second base, and he's awful.
0: Right, and then you, there's also the question of his fielding, because in some cases he's put up quite poor fielding numbers, but then other times mostly, yeah, yeah,
1: a couple, a couple of years he's been okay, but he's mostly been pretty terrible.
0: Right, yeah,
1: but it it is. Fowler, Fowler's interesting because I think when he was in Colorado, he was kind of one of the examples of like how UZR is broken and like how that was a park effect that the park was getting wrong, and like very clearly like. Uh, I, I, I've gotten in several conversations. I don't know, five years ago or something like that, where people will use Fowler as an example. Of like, if you just watched him play, it would be very obvious that he's actually a good defensive center fielder, and this number is useless. And then he went to Houston; and his numbers were terrible. He went to Chicago; his numbers got better, but they still weren't good. Now he's gone to St. Louis; his numbers are terrible. <laughs> like we're on now four parks. Where Dexter Fowler has been a bad defensive center fielder. Um, it turns out maybe UZR was right all along.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And then, uh, and then, uh, sorry, this is all just a. Uh, a stream of consciousness, but I don't think they're uninteresting points. Uh, there's also the case if you want to talk about the the uh, disparity between the assessment of a player's defensive skills and then what the numbers say. Uh, Adani Echeverria is an interesting case. Yeah, absolutely. Because what his first three or two and a half years in the league, he graded out very poorly yeah. uh, by the by the metrics, and yeah. uh, certainly Echeverria didn't think he was bad. And his teammates were. I, I forget who was it. One of our one of our writers uh, had done a piece on him. Maybe maybe it was Jeff Sullivan who looked at it. I think it. it was Jeff Jeff did it. And yeah. he sort of uh, he was able to aggregate various comments that uh, yeah. players had made about the metrics, and they were all yeah. essentially like, "These are," <laughs> 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 yeah. Hestavria is great.
1: Yeah, everybody thought Hedger Maria was like the best defensive shortstop in baseball. I think he got the like Gold Glove votes every year he might have won one i mean like, he was considered an elite defensive shortstop while running like
0: negative 20 right and DRS. guess what's happened <laughs> uh guess what's happened over the last three years uh, uh he's changed yeah well well either i don't know he's changed the numbers okay well the positioning changed something changed certainly the assessments of his defense have changed yeah. and he's been he was markedly above average for a shortstop yeah. which is saying something right. that's he was worth like 20 runs overall uh in yeah. two thousand fifteen. He's worth a win and a half last year, roughly, and he's on his way to being worth a win defensively this year.
1: Um, I mean, so I would say that Maria is kind of the defensive version of Eric Cosmer, right? Like, um, Scouts have lo- for a long time looked at Eric Hosmer, but, like, the swing is beautiful. Uh, there's a lot of just natural ability here. He drives the ball really well at all fields. He's not a pull, pull-only left-handed hitter. You know, he can hit righty, he can hit lefty. He's, like the, he's a good defensive first baseman this guy's a $200 billion free agent. And then you like look at his actual production, you're like, this guy's a league average hitter. He hits way too many ground balls, he hits a new lot of double plays, he barely hits home runs. Like On the production side, Eric Cosmer's not very good. And this year, Eric Cosmer has played very well after a really terrible start. He's been really great in the second half, and Eric Cosmer you know, potentially could be turning into what scouts have thought he was for six years. And Hechuria, I think, kind of the same thing. If you grade out his tools, his defensive skills, like, this guy could be a great defensive shortstop. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. For a while, probably because of positioning, um, but the, there's a, a pretty stark contrast with some of these guys between physical abilities and performance, and it depends on kind of how you're grading them. Players almost always grade on physical skills, like the, like that the, this guy you know throws 102, he's awesome, and it's like well, you know he's not actually awesome. <laughs> like he might throw 102, but he's not very good.
0: Right. But you, you now you mentioned this when we last spoke is that. Um the thing with the the thing with physical tools and i'm interested if you think it translates to to position players but for but for pitchers that essentially what that velocity guarantees is an is a margin of error right, right yeah. now it's a, it's a margin yeah. of error in a couple of ways when that guy's actually pitching he can groove a pitch like uh Jeff Sullivan wrote yesterday about Jeff Hader right or, uh, Josh Hader yeah right and hader It doesn't really seem to have to locate that – he was – he threw some nice, uh, like, uh, fastballs at the top of his zone to to Daniel Murphy. Right. But he doesn't really seem to have to worry about location all that much.
1: Yeah, he's kind of Matt Thornton. Like, uh, I think the famous story is when Matt Thornton got to Chicago and Don Cooper was like, uh, just throw the ball down the middle because you don't have good enough command. It won't actually go down the middle. It'll probably hit the corner. Right. And so Matt Thornton just started throwing the ball down the middle on every pitch and got really good.
0: Yeah, right, and so and so right, so that it allows margin for error where that's concerned, and then there's also the other margin for error, which is, um, you know, you could survive off this fastball until you learn how to throw other pitches. Right. Yeah. So so there's that I guess, and that's how the physical tools translate. Uh, what do they got? Players? This maybe Rajai Davis. So can I ask you a question? Yeah.
1: All right. Since we're talking about kind of, like, the vagaries of scouting and physical tools and performance. Yeah. So, in the last, you know, yesterday I read about Matt Olson. Um, and, you know, I think a couple weeks ago I read about Reese Hoskins. And, uh, um, anyway, there's been a few, like, you know, I, I, we've talked about you like Bancana a little bit. And, like, it feels to me, and I don't know if you can... Um, if if you've noticed this, considering you've had a baby and haven't probably paid attention to baseball as much this year, uh, even for you, (laughs) like, it's probably relatively less Sustuli baseball interaction. Uh Um, It feels to me like this year has been um, a uh, a year where the guys who were considered to not be great prospects have significantly overperformed, especially relative to the guys who were rated as, like, the best of the best, right? So, like, I think... You know, this would have sounded ridiculous six months ago. I think there's an open question of like whether you would have, rather have Reese Hoskins or Yuan Mankata in your organization. Yohan Mankata a year ago was considered, you know, the top prospect in baseball. Reese Hoskins didn't crack the top hundred, I think, of any mm-hmm. list. Right. <laughs> and now today you're like I don't know that it's clear that you want Yohan Mankata over Reese Hoskins. Yeah,
0: and of course and I think to be fair, right, Mankata has always been he's always had a little bit more risk than you would associate
1: Absolutely. I mean, he was a high-risk number one overall prospect. But, like, it wasn't something that people would consider a serious question if asked six months ago. And, like, when I was reading the Matt Olson post yesterday, you know, uh, like, you know, certainly no disrespect to Eric, who does a great job with our list. But, like, Matt Olson was, ranked like the 19th best prospect in the A's system before the season began. Right now, like, Matt Olson, like, when I was reading the post yesterday, I was like, this is what Kyle Schwarber was supposed to be. Like, I don't know that you would take Kyle Schwarber over Matt Olson right now. In terms of, like, if you look at their skill sets, Matt Olson hits the ball harder, he hits the ball more often, he might actually be a better defensive outfielder, he's definitely got a stronger arm, um, you know, so there's probably a little bit more defensive value, like, they're basically the same age, you know, they have the same basic skill set, except Olson hits the ball harder, and, you know, potentially makes more contact, and Kyle Schwarber, everyone went bananas for Kyle Schwarber, and Matt Olson was an afterthought, and it's like, you know again, not a critique of the scouting community, but, like, if looking at hitters is that difficult, mm-hmm. if if evaluating the quality of a, of a potential batter is so hard that we can't tell the difference between Kyle Schwarber and... Or we, we think there is a difference between Kyle Schwarber and Mattel and so this dramatic gap in potential future value when maybe there really isn't. Why do we care? Not that why do we care, but, like, should we be significantly downgrading the assessments of future offensive value if there's such a huge unknown here. Yeah, well, uh, like maybe we should all do, like this kind of goes back to like the just draft Byron Buxton because at least you know he's fast,
0: right? Like that
1: you're pretty sure you're right about that. No one really knows if anyone's going to hit. Well,
0: but you but there there is one clue in there, right? And and so uh, someone with uh, Matt Olson's profile is typically to my mind, a bit of a risk in the sense that it, you know, it's de- he's depending so much on contact, and if the contact goes away, right, then you don't necessarily know. And, he, and it's not like he hit; he hasn't. The numbers he's he's recorded in the majors are the best numbers he's ever recorded as a as a professional, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to keep hitting like this, like you know. In the post yesterday, I wasn't trying to suggest like Matt Olson is now the best young first baseman in baseball, right? But I do think like you know, if you look at so what Kyle Schwarber was kind of hyped up to be, and what Matt Olson was considered to be, and then you look at their actual skills, how different. Well, and they...
0: and uh, Schwarber's teammate Jorge Soler, right? Um, I think he sure. was uh, former, uh, team, well, right? I guess, former teammate. I mean, he yeah. at, at at certain points he was, he I think he was highly thought of, um, and he yeah he was absolutely. certainly highly thought of, or you know sufficiently. Uh, um, Desired to to get the team that was part of the Wade Davis trade, wasn't it? Uh,
1: he was the only thing in the Wade Davis trade. Yeah, so if you, point.
0: so I mean, do you think it, Do you think a, a year ago? Do you think when the the Cubs conducted that trade for Wade Davis? Do you think that the A's could have traded uh, Matt Olson to the Cubs, um, or, or I mean, to the to the Royals in exchange for Wade Davis?
1: Well, I think Olson was significantly less thought of than Solaire. I would have th- I would think that the Royals probably would have laughed at the A's and said, "Get out of here right. with that."
0: Now, but here's the thing about Olson, and you you brought this up, is that he is recording uh, some of the highest exit velocities in the league, right? Right. How yeah. how long? Well, this is a bit of an idle question, I think. Um, I mean, perhaps there's some uh, the A's have some proprietary information to this effect, and all the parks, perhaps, in which um, you know Olson has played over the years the recent years how long has he been hitting the ball this hard do you suppose
1: yeah i mean the A's certainly have uh hit fx data from the minor leagues to know whether this is Mm -hmm. new or not uh we don't have that publicly available but the a's absolutely know that um i think eric mentioned you know this is a guy with plus power in his write-up i wouldn't i would be surprised if he wasn't hitting the ball harder than average like um you know like his whole game is essentially hitting the ball hard right? like he's a large first baseman like if he wasn't hitting the ball hard and he you know that he probably wouldn't have ever gotten to the big leagues so i would assume based on his kind of profile and the fact that he's in the major leagues at 23 he probably does hit the ball harder than average it would be weird if he didn't yeah
0: harder than average is one thing but the the player's um he's what he's in the top 10 i mean the players who do he's right behind Giancarlo Stanton yes.
1: Seventh, he's like seventh overall. In right, the players around
0: ra- him. I mean, yeah. it's it's Judge, Gallo, Cruz, Sano, Davis, yeah. Stanton, all, and then Goldschmidt is after him. Uh, these are this yeah. is, these are, are the best major tied, league yeah. players. Uh, well, no, no, sorry. I mean, not no, o- no. not
1: overall. I mean, Chris Davis is like no, a, not yeah, overall an player, but yeah, they're these are very strong right. big
0: leaguers, and they're all capable of providing some sort of offensive value.
1: But I guess Judge can play with this too, and like, I actually, I had like a paragraph typed out, kind of comparing Madelson and Aaron Judge, and then I ended up deleting it because I didn't want to distract from the piece and think that I was like calling Madelson Aaron Judge 2.0. But like, I think we've talked about this on the podcast, like, Aaron Judge, right, is like the, a role-less chapman of exit velocity, and, and he got seven sixty five 65 and 70 grades in his future power as a prospect, and he like ran less than 200 ISOs in the minor leagues, like, uh, Aaron Judge has more power than anyone we've ever seen, John Carlistan included, None of us who are watching baseball right now have ever seen a guy hit a ball as hard as Aaron Judge. And six months ago, he almost didn't make the team. And there was, like, questions over whether he could hit in the big leagues. And now he's one of the best hitters in baseball. And it's like, if we can't look at a basically a finished product, right? Like, he was this in spring training. He destroyed the Grapefruit League. When he's... You know, Jeff Sullen wrote a pest in February about how he had the highest exit velocity among guys who um, didn't just hit the ball on the ground and was, like, a significant outlier. I think, he, like, even last year in his terrible uh, rookie debut, he was hitting the crap out of the ball. Like, even watching that happen, professional evaluators were like, man, we're not actually sure this guy's going to hit. Like, if we can see finished products effectively, not that Judge hasn't made any improvements, but guys who already had this skill set of hitting the but Jesus out of the baseball. Um, And we can't say, like, that's 80 power. Like, if we can't identify that by watching it, like, why are we putting so much confidence in our ability of offensive evaluation?
0: I don't know. I mean, I suppose it's a question, like, to to some degree. You know, it seems as though it has mattered previously. Uh, The the question of contact has mattered, right? Um, And maybe it's just because teams wouldn't play a guy if he was going to strike out... You know, over thirty-five percent of the time. Maybe I mean,
1: he... but Russell Brandon got to the big leagues. Like no one questioned Russell Brandon's power, right? Like he was the guy who struck out forty percent of the time back when the league average strike rate was like fourteen uh-huh. percent. So he was striking out like three hundred percent of much of the league average, and he had a big league career for like seven or eight years.
0: Now Brandon didn't been, been get. Uh, he rarely had a full time role.
1: But right, he only, yeah, I think the Mariners uh, in the Jack Rensick DHs for everyone era were the only team who were like, let's play this guy every day. All
0: right, and he actually, I think he had a decent season. Every yeah, actually it was pretty good. Yeah, but he, and I don't, I, you know, so he didn't really have, I think there was always some skepticism about him. You're right. Though. Right, because he
1: struck out, What? but like his relative strikeout rate in today's game would be like a 60% strikeout yeah, rate he,
0: or Yeah, it's true, because he, yeah, he struck out um, literally a third of the time as a major leaguer. Yeah, right. And that was, again, that was... A, I mean, every era is a different era relative to this one.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you could also like throw Joey Gallo in there a little bit, who we mentioned is like right up there in the next block. Like Joey Gallo is making contact on I mean, like fifty nine percent of his swings as a big leaguer, which is absolutely unheard of. Mm-hmm. It's the lowest contact rate we've ever seen from anybody. Like that's not a pitcher. Uh, but Joey Gallo was like a 120 WRC plus because he has the bejesus out of the ball like Aaron Judge, not quite to the same extent, but like, uh and everyone knew early on that Joey Gallo had 80 power. So like, like, I'm not trying to suggest that like, no one can look at anyone and discern any kind of offensive ability. Obviously, if you look at kind of like the history of draft choices, uh even just limiting for position players, like the very best guys go at the top of the draft. Um, and you could you, even if you took out defensive value, you'd still find the same thing. Like scouts can tell the difference between Ben Revere and Alex Rodriguez, right? Like it's not like we know nothing. But I, I guess in looking at like you know Reese Hoskins and guys like Maddelson, and there's so many guys like that right now. Jose Ramirez and Jose Altuve are the one-two in the American League MVP probably. I mean, Trout should be in there, but he's probably going to get ignored. But anyway, like guys like that who are you know not prospects or fringy prospects and are now. Offensive monsters. Like, there's just so many of these guys that I just have been have been wondering where we get our confidence and our ability to not just us, like as um the like not just the scouting community and like it's not the stats that this figured out. Like anyone watching baseball, like any observer of the game, why we're confident in our ability to be like this is this guy's offensive ceiling. We don't know anything. Everyone's offensive ceiling is like best player ever. <laughs>
0: Well, and right, you're, perhaps it's even more striking, in you know, for a player like you know, you mentioned Jose Ramirez. Um, I think, uh, I mean, Reese Hoskins to some degree is an example, but but he was a big guy who was hitting the ball hard already. But Jose right. Ramirez, or I mean Lindor, this year, you, you know, yeah. the fact that uh, Sawchick just wrote a piece about him today, like he doesn't even is actually like his launch, his average launch angle has increased, but he doesn't actually say that he's made any attempts to do that. Right. Um, um, perhaps just an example of, or you know, it's it's just a, a product of swinging at pitches that are more hittable. He that, attributed to pitch selection essentially.
1: Um, yeah, I mean it could be that more pitchers are pitching yeah, him up and, and he just happens to be hitting balls higher in the right. zone, which generally go up. Yeah,
0: so, but the, the the basic point you're making, and it's a sound one, I think, Dave Cameron, is that we, we don't know anything.
1: Especially when it comes to offense. We, like, I think we actually like um we despite people's um skepticism of defensive metrics and how like the idea that it was like figuring out defense was going to be the next big frontier in baseball, we know more about baseball defense than we do about offense like you can pretty quickly figure out like Kyle Schwarber's bad defense and um you know Francisco Linder was good at defense like these are these are evaluations that didn't take long that are pretty obvious on their true on their face and turn out to be true um, you know it's not that I like, think we know everything about defense I don't think uh, you know I'm not saying that we have it figured out but you know like when it like so Elvis Andrus this year has hit 20 home runs right Elvis Andrus hit 20 home runs I think in the last five years combined like like offense makes no sense and this is supposed to be the thing that we have like oh offensive metrics are basically perfect we can move on to other things Okay, maybe like the valuation of past offense is pretty good, linear weights work pretty well, but like projecting offense, especially in this day and age, like I think we kind of suck at it <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm sure I'm with yeah. you
1: that's that's my thought for the day. We suck at projecting hitting
0: yep i I will agree with you uh one uh, i one of us, and that's me, the host. Uh, sucks at being a dad because um, my son is crying. Um, <laughs> okay. so go so
1: no, go be a not sucky dad.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that. Um, but uh, but I will um, th- these comments uh, we've made here today, I will um, I will um, remember them forever, Dave Cameron.
1: That's probably not
0: true. Okay, hey Dave, thank you so much. Stick around You're for one moment, but for the purposes of the program program, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, that has been Dave Cameron's managing editor of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli has been thinking, I've you. thank I've